0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great to have you all here today. So, so this series, where does this start? Well, it starts with this. I've been surprised as a pastor. You know, I've only been doing this for, you know, New Church Live, we're coming up on a sixth anniversary. I've only been ordained for eight years. And, uh, you know, as a teacher before then, and so I I went into this sort of thinking, well, this is what people will come to ask me questions. You know, they're going to come in, they're going to ask me, what's the nature of the Trinity? Or how does discrete degrees work? Or what's the nature of how good and truth, you know, those questions. I never get those questions. The questions I get are, you know, would you marry us? Uh, We're struggling in our marriage. Um, I'm thinking about divorce. I'm struggling with addiction. And this question, it comes up all the time. I want to find my passion. I want to find that thing that makes my heart sing. I'm going through life and I'm kind of like phoning it in. And I know that there's more. What might that be? So I thought, you know, this is really an opportunity here for us to take four weeks and really start to pull that apart, really start to look at what the concept of vocation is, what that call might actually be like, how it might actually work in our lives, and maybe help some people discover a passion and have permission to pursue it. And the hope is by the end of this series, this four-part series, that you're able to come up with sort of a mantra of sorts, a, a one or two sentence thing that, that really pulls together the way you feel that God's calling you. What do you think he's calling you to? Something that may be able to, to give you a sense of purpose and, and passion back into your life. But to get started with that, I want to set the, the, the bigger context here, and I want to set it with this question. What percentage of Americans are unhappy with their job? In other words, what percent of Americans, another way to say this, would rather be doing something else than what they're doing? All right, you can share that with somebody. You can text it into to me. How many people are going to, 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 a, to a job that they would rather not be doing is 82%. Did anybody get the right answer? close close and then you know folks doesn't that explain road rage you know you think like you're driving along eight out of every ten people are going to a job that they don't want to go to it's like being told you're going to go to math class in high school forever yeah so we go oh no no chuck that's not funny you see, and, and so, yeah, so, so this is obviously a very current issue with a lot of people. And I think for a lot of it, what it creates is a life where we live like this. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, does that remind you of your life? <laughs> you got to let that one sink in. That's really funny, by the way. At least I think it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, there are those days. Yes, there are those days. So how do we, you know, switch it up? How do we think about it? Like, how do we give ourselves permission even to have the conversation? Because the conversation gets short-circuited right away. Like, well, yeah, sure, I wanted to do that, but it doesn't pay money. or it and, and, and maybe it doesn't, but maybe you can still find permission even to do that and keep the job at the same time. Or maybe it is about switching careers. I don't know. let's at least give ourselves permission over these next four weeks to kind of like clear the decks and think about it because I think it's valuable now the way we're going to go about this is through four parts let your life speak we are born with a gift next week we're looking at our path will wind we actually have a a teenage one of our teen uh, members of the congregation got so inspired when Rob Nash spoke a couple weeks ago he said hey I want to speak to that so he's going to be speaking a little bit Number three, there will be a moment. Number four, you will come to know it, what that call is, and your life will speak. And your life will speak. Because what we want to do is we want to get down, really hone in, really dig into this question, this beautiful, beautiful question. I'm going to have you say in really loud so everybody can hear us. Is the life you are living the same as the life that wants to live in in you? are they the same? For most people, you got a 50-50 chance here, folks. For most people, what is the answer? Yes or no? No. no. For most people, they, they feel like it, it just, they're not able to find it. They're not able to get traction around it. They're not able to get it to work in ways that, that, they, that they feel like it should. So it leaves us sort of this, this restlessness, But it's not, like there's a good restlessness, there's a restlessness of trying to be better and more loving and and those pieces and serve better and serve more effectively. I feel like that's a good restlessness. But a lot of the restlessness when we're caught doing things that we don't like is sort of the restlessness of drowning. (laughs) It's, It's that frenetic trying to grab hold of anything we can. And we have to learn to maybe speak, work, do things a little bit differently. And part of that We'll be understanding that this process, folks, it's not a process of, of a doing process, it's a being process. God, I'm not that interested in what we're doing. He's saying, look, look, I need you to be. And figuring out what that being looks like and feels like and is like. To do that, we have to get very good at listening. So, so our, one thing I wouldn't want you to do with this series is to think that it's a bunch of lists, a bunch of to-do lists. Maybe the best thing I can offer you is to sort of clear away the clutter and let you listen to the life that is in you, the gift that is in you, and find a way to embrace that. Because I think that's where there's a great deal of power. What we get to then is this concept of vocation. Vocation, think like vocal, that's, that's the call. That's the voice. And it has these five components to it. What is your vocation? So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to grab the microphone here. I'm going to hop out into the audience. And what I want is I'm going to ask for five volunteers. And could somebody raise their hand as the first volunteer? I can't see you, so you have to scream your name. All right, over here. I'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, you know, you'll say the first one, and then, and then we'll just pass it around to five people have read I love when da- daughters volunteer their moms. Excellent. Who was was it was that a, Okay, read the first one there. Deeper than your job role. So there's a depth there. Second one. Read number 2 there. Okay. A soul level calling. Soul level calling. So it's the psalm deep meets deep at the sound of your waterfall. It's a very deep thing. Our deepest our deepest identity our deepest identity. It's, it's like who you were before you sort of arrived and you're still there now. Jerry, great to see you. God's gift to be offered through us in service to the world. Good. I would if, if I was a teacher and was punishing all of you, I'd have you all write that down a 100 times on a chalkboard. Because I think that one's really important. You know, can we really focus in on God's gift to be offered through us in service to the world? Now, who is a very talkative person who can do this long one?
1: This is something I can't not do. For reasons I'm unable to explain to anyone else and don't fully understand myself, but they are nonetheless compelling.
0: Excellent. Give everyone, give everyone a round of applause there.) You can see vocation, you know, it's, it's a pretty significant, a pretty significant concept. And I, I love that last one, and yes, for the English teacher in here, I know there was a double negative, you know, that idea that it's something we can't not do. We just find ourselves like constantly drawn there, and this is, this is the time to mine that, to really think about what that actually might be. And what I want to do now is I want to share with you a video that will really kind of pull that in and get us to understand that time is precious. Time is precious. And maybe it is time to dive into this kind of conversation. So take a look at this video.
1: Hey, I don't care who you are, what race, what age, what gender. I don't care about any of that stuff. But what I do know is that you have a dream inside of you. In that dream, you have kept hidden from the world. You've made excuses for it. You've delayed it. You've listened to people telling you to be realistic. But deep down in your heart, you know that you're not living to your potential. And life is now something you're just getting on with. I want to lay some some reality on you real quick. Where is the wealthiest place in the world? Do you know? It's not China, it's not Dubai. It's the graveyard Because in the graveyard You will find inventions never invented Businesses never erected Songs never sung Books never written Ideas never nurtured People never realized Because They were scared To take a risk I'm Scared like you But you want to know something else? You're not in the graveyard Yet And every we get one life Right, and every passing moment, we will never get back again. You will never start this video with the same perspective you had when you click play. You will never brush your teeth the same way twice in your life. Ain't no rewind button on life. I will never get that breath back ever again. See, this present moment is so precious. We have to be here. We have to be in it and make the most of it. We have to live our dreams now. Because they are possible 6,000 years ago Man created the wheel Only 6,000 years ago First written language was created That's it And if I may remind you The airplane is only a little over 100 years old There was no internet 50 years ago No cell phone So don't sit here and tell me That everything that that can be done Has been done When we haven't been here for very long There are dreams there There are ideas and accomplishments That are waiting to be discovered that are waiting for you. Helen Keller was once asked, what on earth will be worse than being born blind? She said, it will be so much worse to be born with sight, but no vision. Why can't we have cures for every disease known to man? Why can't we have clean water, food, education for every person on this planet? Why can't we have peace on this planet? Why do we have to die to go to heaven? The earth is already in space. We can have heaven right here, right now. Just a shift in this. Why not? Because somebody said it's impossible. It can't be done. i tell you this. There's never been a statue erected for a critic. Everybody tell you how to do it. They never did it. Moral of the story is, do you be you and be here now. Your dreams are possible. Stop obsessing over these celebrities. Kim Kardashian. Live your life. Step into your greatness. He said the average person dies at 25, but is buried at 75. You know what that means? Unless you figure it out. Don't let this negative world get to you. Don't let it win. Do not go where the path may lead but go where there is no path and leave a trail.
0: You know, that, that video and that song and that, those, those pieces, like I think we know that we can live that way. I mean, we sort of are, are, are wired somehow to know that. And we're wired as well when we know that we're not living that way. And maybe, folks, like, like I think and it's, it's hard to talk about, right? Because, because as we talk about this, we talk about living into vocation, that there's parts that we embrace and there's parts that we let go. Letting go is very hard. I don't want to sort of be Pollyannish about that and just like, oh, that's easy, just go follow your dream, because I know to do that means oftentimes giving up things, things that can be very hard. But the Bible talks a lot about that. Can we all say one word really loud? All right, I want you to say this word really loud. Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. Exodus. Second book of the Bible. It's a beautiful story about a people that are enslaved in their journey to freedom. Largely under the leadership of a man by the name of Moses, who we've heard heard of. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you still have heard that name. Moses leads them out, and and, and Exodus is actually a story. It's a story of the freedom of these people. But it's also a story of Moses coming into his vocation, coming more and more into his call. And his call will eventually come down to this statement. I'm going to have you say it after me. Let, we'll try that one more time. Let my people go. That's what he comes to. He comes to this, this final emphatic Mission statement for his life, his vocation. Let my people go. The story, his life story winds in many interesting ways. And 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 in the new church, we, we view the Bible, yeah, both there's this literal sense of it, you know, sort of what it says in the actual words. But most importantly, there's a poetic sense underneath it, an internal sense underneath it, a poetry that makes the story about us and not just some like random history thing. And the deeper picture, the poetic truth, comes down to this beautiful concept of what we're trying to do with our lives. It's about alignment, where our external lives, in other words, how we live on the inside, becomes the image and likeness of our deepest and truest selves. Now, Manuel Swedenborg, who was the theologian who really kind of crafted new church theology, he uses that phrase, image and likeness, very deliberately. And again, you you may not know much about the Bible, but, but when God says, like God says, I made people in my image and likeness. So it's getting back to that part, that gift of God at the deepest level. Can we get back to that gift of God vocationally? back to that gift of God, that call from within, and then learn to live it out there into the world in a way that's totally free, right? I mean, is there any freer feeling than when you're living your gift? You know, I think Rebecca feels pretty free when she sings here at Nature's Life. Just going out on a limb there. You know, it's just where your gift can literally like come from your toes and it just comes out. And, that's, and that is what true freedom is, the greatest of all spiritual gifts, and God gives us the opportunity in life, like he doesn't do it instantaneously, he allows us to both discover and rediscover this in layers, that, that actually rediscovered in layers that last through all of eternity. A beautiful image there of heaven and what our lives on this earth can be like. Now I want to shift back here to the story of Moses so you can see this vocation growing. I want to tell you a little story about him. Now, Moses' life, it it starts at a time where, where, again, his people have been enslaved by the Egyptians. And they realize that this population that he's part of, that this Jewish population he's part of keeps on growing and growing and growing. And Pharaoh's getting nervous, like, these people are growing and we need to kind of contract them. So he says, that's it. We're not going to allow any boy babies to live. The girls can live, the boy babies can't. So his mother has a little boy baby. She names him Moses. Loves this baby. Last thing she wants to see is any harm come to this baby. Think of that with your vocation, hint, hint. Your little dream, your little call. She knows the world can be a threatening place. So she wants very understandably to protect this little infant. And that protection has kind of two phases to it. The very first phase in the Bible says she hid him for three months. So she hides him for three months like in the house. But then he's getting bigger, and so she needs to figure out a place where when the when the guards come around looking for, for male babies, a place where she can hide him. and she figures out, wow, you know what? She lives by the Nile River. There's a bunch of reeds, and she figures out that if she makes a basket, she can put him in the water when the soldiers come through. That's this Bible line here from Exodus 2. When she can hide him no longer, and this is, I'm going to have you say the B word. This is a really important word, believe it or not. She got a papyrus, basket. Yeah, that's interesting. Why would Chuck say that? Wait a minute and I'll tell you. Place the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. So again, you got to read this poetically, right? Like some of your moms are going, "I would never put my baby in the river." Other you, you might be thinking, "Yeah, I'd put my baby in a little boat in the river to say, you know." It, it, but there's a there's a greater poetic truth here, and it gets to that word basket. That word basket. Some of you've heard me say this before because I think it's so fascinating. It's only used twice in the whole Bible that particular word, and it could be defined. Actually, should have been defined in this version of the Bible as the word ark. It's the same word used for this famous boat. All right, for the, for the resident Bible scholar out there, what is that? Whose ark? Noah's ark. You know, you've all seen the, the kid games. This is when, when the floodwaters came down. Uh, God said, everybody's so evil, you know, we're going to destroy the earth. But, but Noah and his family were saved, and they were saved by being put in this boat. Do you see the connotation? You see how beautiful that is. That idea that there's, that there's, there's a way in which, again, as, as this calling is growing, that yes, we do need to protect it and sort of hide it, and that's and that's okay. You know, there may be somebody out there, one of the teenage boys in the back, you know, you may love ballet, and you haven't told anyone. You know, you're hiding it. It's, it's, it's a precious thing. You're keeping it close to yourself. And then, you know, then there comes a time with the storms of life that, that we need to kind of get a little distance from it, but but to still create that thing that will protect it, even in those storms lasting forty days and forty nights. That's beautiful stuff. What a beautiful image there of, of that dream being protected. I, I think that's why, you know, I work a lot with young couples, and I think that's where, with, with, as, as we talk about our dreams, it's why we need to be so tender when we talk about it. I mean, you, you think about somebody who's in that arc stage, like their dream, and they've just got to protect it against the storms, and, and they say, hey, you know what, I've, I've thought about, like, fill in the blank, and you're like, oh, that's a dumb idea. You know, here's an example for me, like I, my son this week. Um, he's really gotten into the idea of fixing up a motorcycle. Now, we don't have a garage. His dad is not handy at all. I can preach the Dickens out of something, but I can't fix anything. Um, and, uh, you know I, I don't know, I don't know the first thing about, I have no knowledge about this. I could tell him those three things. And what will I have just done to his little boat? <laughs> Sunked it. Crushed it. A good Egyptian soldier. Done. Dumb idea. On to the next one. That's where we have to learn to really be aware with each other. There has to be this tenderness around these dreams, just like a mother's tenderness around these dreams, that helps as a way to maybe protect them, understanding that that, that there is this gift and that that, you know that, that you are that gift. I mean, in this weird way, understand that this gift, folks, like, follow me on this. So so this gift is not like out here, like I want to come and reach and grab that gift. This gift is within you, it's part of you, it's the part of you made in the image and likeness of God. And, and, And oftentimes we treat it as sort of this attainment thing out here versus this aliveness thing welling up within. But you have to understand we're so identified with that dream that when you say to somebody, boy, that dream is really dumb, that won't work, and here's why. You're not just saying their dream is dumb. You see, you're cutting right into their heart song. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't practicalities to talk about. You know, obviously, we don't have a garage. We got to figure that out. But come to it from this angle. Let's figure it out. Let's have the conversation. Let's see what could work. Then stuff starts to open in ways that are truly a miracle. See, it's where we start to move away from complaining into more of a solution type of orientation around our minds. So how does his story progress? Like how's this young boy raised? So the mother hides him in the weeds and Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river. And at that time, kids, they didn't have indoor, you know, showers and stuff. So she came down to bathe in the river and she finds in the reeds, she finds this beautiful baby boy, beautiful, beats a puppy. So she she pulls this baby boy, and she's like, oh, I don't have a child of my own. I want to raise this baby. Just like if any of you found a child that you thought had been deserted, you'd be all over it, all over it, all over taking care of that child. And what she did was she needed somebody, though. You know, she's she's a princess. She needed somebody to nurse that baby, to take care of that baby, and that's where we pick up this part of the story. And it's a beautiful full circle here. So what happens is she's holding the baby. She's thinking like, oh, how do I raise this baby? How do I feed this baby? This woman comes along and she goes, oh, I've got an idea for you. And the idea was actually to go back to Moses' mom, to get Moses' mom to be hired by Pharaoh's daughter to raise Moses. Yes, go, she answered. This is the Pharaoh's daughter to the girl. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby And nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Beautiful part there where this, where this protecting of the child and we see the call coming back home. And then we see the call moving out there into the world. Beautiful stuff, because what's starting to happen is this, folks. And this is one that I would take a, I take a picture of if you're taking pictures. What we have to do, what we have to learn, so as we hold this gift, we have to learn to sort of, you know, they do that framing thing of photography. This is what we need to frame, right? We have that gift. Our job is to bring compassion, kindness, and say the W word there, compassion, kindness, and warmth, warmth to the gift. We have to be able to hold it, and like, it, this is tender, and I want to hold it, I want to give warmth to it. This is not something we achieve, but something we grow into. Not something we achieve. It's not, again, it's, it's, it's like we, we want to sort of hold this gift. This is a listening process. And this last line, so beautiful, and it, it sort of played with some words here from Parker Palmer, but, uh, you know, I think he just, he nails it. He nails it. So I think this is what many of you are searching for. This is not a battle to be engaged in, but an aliveness to be embraced. That's good. Not a battle. It's not about like, I'm going to go tell them how it's going to be. You know, this is an aliveness within you. If it becomes all about telling someone else the way it's going to be, you're probably missing it, even though that's very tempting, (laughs) But where's that aliveness in you, and how do you start over time to really embrace it? See, and I get a chance to see that aliveness all the time. It's incredible. As many of you know, you know, and I mentioned George Graham's name at the, at the beginning of the service. You know, that was a man in his later years. You know, he, he passed away at age 80. You know, where he really embraced and a lot like the guy was totally alive. I was down visiting him in Florida just, just a few days before he passed away. You know, he's sitting out there looking, at the, looking out on the lake, out his, out his back porch, and he, and he turns to me very slowly, very sweetly, and he goes, Chuck, it's all so beautiful. Now, he could have been complaining about health and this and this and this, but he's not. He's embracing aliveness even as his body's declining by saying things like, oh, it's all so beautiful. Another story, George is very much on my mind today, as you can tell. You know, another story about him embracing aliveness that I think we all can learn from because we all need to learn from each other was hey, about five years ago, he wanted to do a Bible study. So we were, we were studying different parts of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, well, well George, what's, tell me, what is your favorite photograph you ever made? you ever took? He's a big photographer, by the way. You know what he answered? He he leaned in with a big smile and he went, I haven't taken it yet. If you think that's a good way to live, raise your hand. (laughs) That is a stinking good way to live. You know, you see where it's, it's not a doing, it's not a battle, it's, it's not this, this, and this. It's, it's, it's an embracing of aliveness. That's vocation. And, and once we start to feel that aliveness, you know, as Molly read, like, like then we get that we can't not do it because that's where we're alive. That's where we're starting to, to feel that sense of ourselves coming more and more to the fore in just, in just beautiful ways. Like, like, look at this beautiful picture. And this is the picture as, as Moses gets returned to his mom. You know, and, and what I'd ask you to think about there is, is think of that little baby for you. And ask yourself this question. Can we say this really loud? Ready? What gift are you holding? What gift are you holding? It's fine if you're in that stage where it's like you just can't, it's still hidden. It's fine if you're in that stage where, yep, it's just, I'm just worried about protecting it right now in that little arc. It's fine if you're at that point where you're starting to raise it and see it grow into this, into this much bigger thing. And I think, great conversation to have. What is that gift? See so you see, God's given it, and the whole point of life, it's not this doing thing where God sort of sets up an obstacle course where we need to get all the answers right to get it. It's about becoming aware of what God is doing. What is coming alive? What is the life in you? And how do we start to live that out into our external lives? That's beautiful stuff. Again, I, I hope if this intrigues you, you know, join the small group afterwards, have a conversation around it, join us over at, join us over at uh, Steam, you know, have a conversation, would be glad to sit down and talk to you about this. I mean, this, is, this should be a fun, exciting conversation as God brings us more and more alive. And as we understand more and more, there's our life and the life that wants to be lived in us, and can we somehow weave the two together? All ready for a good week? All right. I feel like I should give you a football halftime speech. You know, go get them team. You know, I, you know, I, don't, can I go totally off track for one second? Don't you love that line where the guy on the, on the video clip goes like, no one ever made a statue to a cynic. That's a good line. No cynics this week. All right. Just live into Exodus. Start thinking about it. Start talking with your loved ones about what their gifts are, what your gifts are. And start just having the conversation. I mean, this is fun stuff. Let's really embrace that this week. Let's have the conversation there. Let's have the conversation at STEAM. Let's start a wonderful dialogue where our lives, where our lives start to speak. All right. So, I'm going to close with a prayer. Now, because we are ending on, woo, you're going to be going out of here sky high, I want you all to stand up so we can get started with that. Got a great song to close it with. So, I want to close it with a great prayer as we get ready to move through on our week. So, Lord, thank you for being here today. And, Lord, just just thank you. You know, I want to start with just simple gratitude for this congregation. For the way they show up again and again and again gratitude for what they do for other people from Awaken the Dragon, Lord, to the work that's going on in Kensington, to showing up for the Fisher and Graham families, as well as many other countless acts, Lord, that I'm sure I'm unaware of. Allow, Lord, to stir in people's heart a knowledge that even if their pastor doesn't see, you do, and you know, and you bless, because there is joy. And help us, Lord, as well, to really understand the Exodus story in our own way, to understand that, that Moses within us, that, that child that wants to be raised up, to, to, to be able to find that vocation, to be able to lead and change and make the world a better place. Give us permission here, Lord. Permission to even utter the words that that might be so. Permission even to imagine that we can live that no matter how many years we have left or no matter how young we are, that we can live that, we can be that, we can choose to do that. That we can step in there in some way and let our lives then become a song, a beautiful song, sung with passion and inspiration out there into the universe. Not a song of complaint, but a song of exodus and freedom. Freedom not just for us, but for others. This is an incredible congregation, Lord. Be with them. Energize them. Inspire them in the ways that you always do. Be with us this week as we move forward in your name. And in that name we pray. Amen.